It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to quantum number 277. This is a special. What I mean by that is in quantum, we normally look at various news and views from different countries. We always have a country of the month or country of the week and an album of the week and so on. And we look at things that are going on throughout the world. But this one, we're stepping back a bit and we are looking at a special conference, the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship, which recently had a conference in London. I know several people who are there, uh, friends from the UK and from Australia and America. And uh, I have been gorging on it the past week. I've been watching the videos and some of them I'll certainly recommend to you. We won't be able to comment on them all, but the reason I'm doing this is because this conference covers the big issues that we're trying to look at in this podcast. So um, I'm not, by the way, this is not just a fan fest. I absolutely love the names of the people who are there. I mean, you had Tom Holland, you had Neil Ferguson, you had Ian Hersnally, Jonathan Haidt, Michael Schellenberger, Bjorn Longberg, Jordan Peterson, uh, Sir Paul Marshall, Barnes Morrissey, former Prime Minister of Australia, John Howard, John Anderson, former Deputy Prime Minister, the Shadow Minister for Defence, Andrew Hastie, uh, Mike Johnson, Vice Chairman of the US House Republican Conference, Senator Mike Lee, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, the UK Republican presidential candidate, uh, Kate Forbes, Miriam Cates, MP, Baroness Stroud, and, and others as well. It was an incredible lineup and some incredible talks. So we're going to look at it, and what I'm going to do is play little clips and comment on them, and I'm also going to take the opportunity to indulge you with some of my favourite music, and if you've heard some of it before, it's worth hearing again. Good songs are always worth repeating.
Pink Floyd, of course, Dark Side of the Moon. It was my album of the week a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the song is Money. Now, I found this talk fascinating. I didn't know who Paul Marshall was or is. He's a hedge fund manager, and I thought, oh, yeah, well, that could be interesting. And he gave a fascinating talk, the best bit of which was his talk about the three mutant capitalisms. So let me just list what they were. Uh, Monopoly capitalism. He pointed out that Google and Meta control half the world's internet advertising. He talks about crony capitalism. Um, I was thinking here of Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations, where Smith said that um, capitalism does need to be free and actually needs to be influenced by Christianity, or it will turn into this crony capitalism. And what I found fascinating is something I've been trying to say for a while, but from the inside, he's able to say it so much better. He says that corporatism is not free enterprise. And what's happening is that the managerial classes are taking control and they are lobbying. So an astonishing figure he gave that $2 billion were spent by US corporations on lobbying politicians and $1 billion by EU corporations on lobbying the EU politicians. That money spent because they think they're going to get their money's worth. And then here's a, a little bit of his speech. 2008 still leaves a long shadow on Western politics, as everyone saw how the bankers played the politicians for patsies. They privatised their gains and socialised their losses. This gross injustice has never been rectified. Rather, the contrary. Ten years of QE enabled bank CEOs and executives to enrich themselves through the merry-go-round of rising asset prices and lavish buybacks. What we have seen from the 2008 crisis to its aftermath may be the largest transfer of wealth from the poor to the rich since the Norman Conquest. It's that comment that really gets me. They privatised gains and they socialised losses. So they made money, they kept it for themselves. They lost money, they made the taxpayer pay for it. And as a result, what he calls the biggest transfer of wealth from the poor to the rich has taken place. Now he's speaking as one of the rich. He knows what he's talking about. That is so unjust. It's so wrong. It's so unfair. And that leads us to the third one because... The next capitalism, you know, you've got the crony capitalism, you've got the monopoly capitalism, and then you've got woke capitalism. And these people who've all been to, you know, they've all been to Harvard and Yale and Oxford and Cambridge and London School of Economics and so on. But they seek, because they have influence politically, they also seek to tell us what our morals should be. It ain't good. Now, the next area, that's the area of the economy. The next area is the area of politics. Um, I can recommend listening to Neil Ferguson's lecture. Uh, he speaks about the threats to democracy. Um, he talks about Islamism, for example, being a threat to democracy. But the greatest being the access of ill will. Russia, Iran, China and North Korea. And as I say, it's really well worth listening to. But democracy is very definitely under attack because democracy is based upon Christian principles. It was interesting that uh, other politicians there, Kemi Badenoch, as I said, Kate Forbes, Miriam Cates, 
Isn't it fascinating that it seems to me the best of conservative politicians turn out to be women? Um, and these are brilliant women. I mean, I just uh, all of their speech is just so worth listening to. Anyway, uh, time for a bit of Leonard Cohen. fascinating parts of the conference was the talks on environment and climate change and there were this panel there were various other things michael schellenberger is one of my heroes bjorn lomberg as well here's part of his talk uh, and again the whole thing it's only about i think 16 minutes but it's worth listening to here's a little bit of it the crucial point here is to say we're both much better off we live longer we're much less poor and we have much less pollution. These are great stories. We need to get those great stories out. Those are the stories that we need to tell everyone. But, of course, we're being told this is no longer going to happen. This is going to end because of climate change. And yes, there is a problem, but we're being told climate is the end of the world. A new survey from the OECD tells us 
that 60% of all people in the rich world now believe that unmitigated climate change will likely or very likely lead to the end of mankind. That's just simply ridiculous. That's not what the UN climate panel is telling us. Yes, it's a problem, but it's not the end of the world. Let me show you why that is true. If you look, for instance, on death from climate change, that could be climate-related deaths like floods, droughts, storms, and wildfires, they're not killing us ever more. Actually, 100 years ago in the 1920s, they killed about 500,000 people, so half a million people each and every year. If you listen to most of the stories uh, in the media, you would imagine that it exploded much, much worse. No such thing. Since then, it's dramatically declined so that in 2020s, it's down below 10,000 people per year, a reduction of more than 98%. This has nothing to do with climate. It has everything to do with the fact that when we lift people out of poverty, when we get richer, we become more resilient, and hence we die much less from all these natural disasters. What we do is much, much more important than anything that climate throws at us. And that's why we're better off. This is the story that we need to get out. Climate does not mean that we're somehow all being terrible, terrified. It doesn't mean the end of the world. What it does mean is that the world will continue to get much better, but slightly slower. That sounds like a much, much different argument. And of course, it would also lead to much different policies. Now, you see, in all the catastrophism, we're not told about this. Part of what puzzles me about this, this major conference with major people from all over the world, it's not really covered by the BBC or the ABC or others. Why? Because it doesn't suit their agenda. And one thing that doesn't suit their agenda is that they don't do the climate catastrophism. Um, again, they don't ignore the issues. I, I, I thought... That was superb from Lomberg, really, really superb. Uh, and the whole welter of facts that came out in the analysis was just actually very encouraging. But my favorite talk was somebody I had never heard of, someone who's a social worker and I think a, a clinical psychologist, uh, Erica Commissar. Now, personally, I'd have just quite happily paid, played you the whole 18 minutes of her talk because she raises another issue that we are really keen to promote uh, as we discuss these things on the Quantum Podcast. Children are born neurologically fragile, not resilient. Based on their vulnerability, they need attachment security as a foundation for future mental health. Zero to three is a critical period of brain development where mothers serve a unique biological function. And yes, I did say mothers. There was so much wisdom. I've watched it three times now, actually. Um, I love this. Institutional care should be the last resort. I love the bit when she says you should start schools later for teenagers because their bodies uh, are such that they're going to stay up later. And that's not just the culture. And they shouldn't be basically heading off to school at six or seven o'clock in the morning. As a teenager, I would have loved that. But it's this bit that just really stood out for me. Children need stability and community, whether it comes from the ideal, and I said the ideal, of two loving married parents, or an alternative family structure, extended family. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, and cousins are critical to children's mental health. 
Faith-based communities also have a part to play in children's mental health. According to a Harvard University study, children who grow up in families who attend faith-based services on a regular basis do better in terms of long-term mental health. Without community, children feel untethered. We really, really, really need to acknowledge that. And she has some really practical suggestions. I think, I, I won't play this, but I think one of the talks that astounded me the most was Miriam Cates, the Conservative MP from the UK, when she spoke about a major problem in the UK just now being the number of children who are going to school in nappies. Now, you go to school in the UK when you're five years old. Why are they going in nappies? Because they've not been potty trained. Because the parents can't be bothered. You know, Erica Commissar's emphasis on the welfare of the child being paramount, not the welfare of the economy. And in actual fact, the economy suffers if the child is not looked after. Um, it, it was so important. The idea that we can hand the raising of our children over to state institutions, it's a disaster. It has never, ever worked, and it won't work. And people say, oh, we're doing this because we care for children. No, you're doing it because you you care for getting mothers out of the home and fathers as well. She's not disputing the importance of fathers. But in that talk, by the way, she talks about the attachment issues that are absolutely essential for a child from zero to three years old. Okay, time for another bit of music. Um, it had to be this, John Lennon's song about his distraught relationship with his mother. Just gotta tell 
wasn't just about politics, the economy, education. No, no, the environment. There was also a great deal about the art and music. And again, a huge amount that I I learned. And here is uh, a little bit from Samuel Andreev. My friend, the poet Christian Book says that in terms of the hierarchy of cultural prestige, poets and composers currently rank somewhere just below ventriloquists. There is therefore a slight irony in a composer appearing at a conference promoting responsible citizenship because it isn't self-evident where the responsibility of an artist lies. In some respects, devoting one's life to art can be an abdication of responsibility because while the value of the arts is implicit and few would seriously question it, it is rarely explicit. It can be very difficult to tell if an individual artist is wasting your time or not. One clue might be if they're off in a corner talking to themselves rather than inviting you in, but we'll get to that later. The power of music is to transcend space and time, to speak to us in a symbolic language centered around fundamental polarities such as tension and relaxation, movement versus stasis, stability versus instability, and the establishment and the disruption of patterns and patterns within patterns, both in terms of local detail and on an architectonic level. All of these concepts transcend language, they transcend meaning, and they allow us to access a vast field of undiluted feeling. Music is an art that is both abstract and embodied. Abstract because it deals with intangible relationships between opposing or contrasting forces. Embodied because the essence of music is found in rhythm by way of the feet and melody by way of the breath. As the poet Ezra Pound put it, when music strays too far from the dance, it wilts. So music provides us with abstracted, meaningful movement, allowing us to experience vicariously modalities of movement and by extension, modalities of being that transcend the physical limitations of what we are able to do here on earth. That is the essence of music and as such, I believe the desire to engage with this art stems fundamentally from a need for transcendence, regardless of the type of music and whether or not this is done consciously. Now, to be honest, this got pretty heavy uh, to, to work through. But I played that clip because I think he's absolutely correct that the importance of the artist as being responsible. Art is so crucial in culture. And music is so crucial in culture. And... I think what he says is correct. And and I think it's Calvin who, I would love if he'd quoted him, that of all the gifts God has given to humanity, music is the most powerful because it moves us, it moves our emotions. 
And again, I just urge you to go and listen to the whole of his talk and to the other talks that were given on uh, art and music at this. I think Bob Dylan played a big part, actually. He certainly cited quite a bit. Um, But one of the board, I think, of responsible citizenship or the, the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship is Winston Marshall, who used to be in this band. So come out of your cave walking on your hands And see the world hanging upside down You can understand dependence when you know their maker's land So make your sirens call and sing all you want I will not hear what you have to say Cause I need freedom That is, of course, Mumford and Sons, The Cave. Let me at the truth that will refresh my broken mind. I I think this conference did that. I found it very refreshing for lots of people in lots of ways. I I mean, I'd love to play you Louise Perry on The Sexual Revolution. John Anderson, uh, as wise as ever. And my absolute superhero in all of this, Oz Guinness, who's always worth listening to. And the panel with him, John Anderson, Ian Hersonali, and Jordan Peterson is just worth its weight in gold. Now, speaking of Jordan Peterson, here's something he said. I think this was in, in his introductory speech. On He's talked about how he'd been working with Job. And I, I, I really, I'd love to talk to him about that. I'm working on a, a movie just now about Job. But um, I'll tell you what, uh, let's listen to a little bit of what he had to say. We can join together and as a unit we can be stronger and more responsible than either of us could be apart. And then if you're careful and awake and you take on the responsibility, you can manage that. And then if you can do that, maybe you can dare to bring children into the world. And you can say, well, we can weld our family together and we can make of our local environment a place of productivity and harmony and generosity. And if we can develop expertise in that, that will be a meaningful adventure. And then maybe we can extend a hand beyond that to our local community, to our neighborhood, to our town, to our city, to our nation, to our nation under God. And we can serve at every one of those levels of hierarchical responsibility. And in doing that, we find the adventure of our life. We find the meaning that sustains us through catastrophe. And we simultaneously protect ourselves from being the aimless slaves who do nothing but wander blindly in the desert and from the tyrants who would like to govern every single action we take. If each of us did everything we could do and needed to do, we would have no need for a king. We're sovereign citizens. We have responsibility for our own destinies. If we take that on, there's nothing we can't do. We organize ourselves properly. We aim at the truth. We, we, we interact with each other as reliable, productive, and generous individuals. We engage in the proper sacrificial service that enables the community. And we tilt the world towards heaven and away from hell.
Okay, now, this is where I'm a little bit critical. And what I mean by this, there is nothing we can't do, take on the responsibility. No. No. No, 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 no. That is not true. It is not the case that there is nothing that we cannot do. Um, I, I felt before, when I listened to Peterson before, several years ago, that he was in enormous danger of cracking up because he was because he cared so much. He was almost in the position of taking upon himself the burdens of the world and being saviour of the world. I think he's moved away from that, and I do think apparently he's become at least a theist, if not a Christian. I think he maybe has become a Christian. But there's an aspect of biblical theology that he really needs to grasp. We can't do it. We can't do it. That doesn't mean helplessness. And it doesn't mean we don't take responsibility, but it does mean we look away from ourselves and we look to Christ. At this point, I still think he's encouraging people to look at themselves. And yes, that's important, but as McShane said, for every look at self, take 10 looks at Christ. So let's come on to the solution. That comes from two of the other speakers, I think, um, or at least hinted at. One is, is Jonathan Paggio, who talks about the supreme good. Um, again, the whole thing's worth listening to, but listen just to this little bit. The supreme good is not money, it's not energy, it's not freedom, it's not family, it's not knowledge, it's not safety, it's not diversity, and it's not inclusion. Though all those things are good, they should never be treated as the supreme good lest they become idols and gods that will tyrannize us. And so the goods must dance together. They play against each other. They have to be put in proper hierarchies where the more encompassing goods, like the virtues, guide the lower goods, like the stuff. With none of the goods completely ruling the others, or else they might become, once again, vices that will overwhelm you. And so, and at least for now, I think that even for those who are here or those who are watching this who do not believe and do not worship the supreme ineffable good, at least keep your, high, your eyes high and at least always look higher and don't let your sight and your perception stop at the goods that you care about today. So thank you. Now, there's an element of mysticism within Paggio, and, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. In fact, there's an aspect of beauty about it I find quite appealing. But it's this, this idea, always look higher. There is more. What is good? Who is good? None of the things that we value as good. So we've gone through, you know, the economy, the environment, family, education. We cannot make them the supreme good. What is the supreme good? Well, God alone is good, as Jesus says, and Paggio more than hints at that. And we always have to look higher. That's what we're We want to encourage people to look higher, and the highest you can look is Christ. So I'm going to play a little bit because Paggio says, you know, all our idols will fail us. And of course, uh, Bob Dylan wrote a song called Satisfied Mind. Um, I did find Dylan's version a bit whiny. Some of you may think that's not unusual for Dylan. But I love this version by Johnny Cash, so here's some of that. How many times have 
you heard someone say If I had his money I could do things my way But little they know That it's so hard to find One rich man in ten With a satisfied mind Once I was winning In fortune and fame Everything that I dreamed for To get a start in life's game Then suddenly it happened I lost every dime But I'm richer by far With a satisfied mind Money can't buy back Your youth when you're old Or a friend when you're lonely Or a love that's grown cold The wealthiest person Is a pauper at times Compared to the man With a satisfied mind And then one of the most fascinating talks for me was a man called Makoto Fujimura. Uh, What Japanese art can teach us about the culture war. Um, Here's a little bit of what he had to say. You see, we need to behold. We have this lost art of beholding. And in order to face my paintings, I often tell people, you will not see my paintings for about 20 minutes <laughs> because you have to behold them. You have to let your mind settle for my anxieties and our fears and the troubles of our days and to take a deep breath and to behold. In order to go from lament to glory, we must be able to behold. We have to start from beholding the broken. Now, it's, it's that phrase. This is what really got me. This really hit me. We need to behold. You know, we have our anxieties and fears. If we're going to go from lament to glory, we need to behold the broken. We need to behold. We need to look beyond ourselves. We need to see Christ. And I think we need to see the brokenness within ourselves and the brokenness within humanity. But most of all, we need to see the broken Christ who because of his brokenness, his body broken for us, we can be healed and made whole and our world can be renewed. So if this conference is saying by just being responsible citizens, we're going to save the world, they will get it absolutely wrong. But if they're saying we should be responsible citizens, And by being responsible citizens, we look up, we behold the man upon the cross. As I say, it was so stimulating and and so good. Thanks to Peter for producing this. If you want to give to Quantum, then go to the Podbean fundraiser. Uh, All the links are on the website, theweefly.com. For those of you who are new here, I do a short video every day called Luke with Luke. 
and started producing some sermons on it as well. If you've got any questions, any comments, any criticism, please do get in touch with me. The Weefly, T-H-E-W-E-E-F-L-E-A at gmail.com. I'm going to leave you with, um, and sorry for the length of the clips and all the rest of it, but uh, I hope this is not too long for you. Um, I'm going to leave you with this song from Sovereign Grace Music, Behold Our God, who has held the ocean in his hands, the environment, the economy, the family, politics, the kings of the earth, art, music. Behold our God. Behold him. Behold him. And the rest kind of falls into place. God bless you and see you next week. Bye.
Behold our King Nothing can compare Come let us adore